Hi, everyone. Welcome to Off Mute. I'm Obella Braun-West, joined by my co-host, Zach Morrison. Today, we're sitting down with the co-founder of Thrasio, Carlos Cashman. Carlos has an extensive background in strategic marketing, branding, advertising, high-tech software, and design. Over the past 20 years, Carlos has worked with numerous successful startups as an executive, founder, investor, and advisor, both in the US and abroad. In addition to Thrasio, you may also know him from other successful companies like Orion CKB, Constellation CK, and Fast Track Certification. Carlos, welcome to Off Mute. Thank you for having me, and thank you for being giving me the uh, the benefit of that twenty years. It's been a little longer than that. <laughs> I've been doing things, but we can stick with twenty years. It's all right. We'll st- we'll stick with twenty years. Okay, so first, I think Zach and I have told you this is not your typical podcast, or we hope that it's not your typical podcast, because we like to make it fun, it's off mute, we're completely relaxed. So the first thing that we're going to do is kick things off by getting to know you a little bit more and getting to know the inner workings of your brain. We're going to ask you three three words. So I'm going to ask two words, Zach's going to ask one, say first things that come to your mind. Oh boy. All right, ready? Let's do it. Okay. First word, entrepreneurship. Fun. Entrepreneurship is fun or the the word is fun? Well, the word's not very fun. It's a, it's a mouthful. Entrepreneurship itself is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, was the, what was the most fun you had? Like, what was the moment in time that you think back and say, that point in time was like the most fun I had starting a company? You know, there's, there's been so much fun in so many different ways. But so right now, the, the most recent is the easiest to go to. Like, there's a, there's a nostalgia the early team always has for the early days. And Thrasio in particular, like, we started this company. I, I was, you know, like, working on a bunch of new ideas and just trying to figure out where I was going to go. And I, I wanted some space outside the house. And there is a room behind the Dunkin' Donuts in this little town I live in outside of Boston called Dover. <laughs> and I, the, the, I happen to know the guy who owned the building. I, I just made a deal somewhere, you, well, you rent that to me. And so he took on that room, and that's where Thrasio started. There was a conference table in this one room with a little tiny closet off the edge, and we ended up having the first nine people in Boston in that little, that little room behind the Dunkin' Donuts. And it was, it's, there's a real nostalgia for that time, because we were all just, like, talking across the table. We had my partner in New York. We had our, our other partner in, uh, in Houston. Uh, where she was starting to build operations too. But it was really like, it was a blast, man. I just think about those times being stuck in this sweaty, often smelly office <laughs> with a handful of us around the table just trying to figure out this whole Amazon thing. And I'm sure going home every day smelling like donuts and caramel macchiatos and all that stuff, which is We had all the great. coffee we needed, which was awesome. Right. <laughs> all right, let's go on to the second word. So the second word is Bezos. Bezos, rich. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, that is true. This is just word association, right? I give you the first word. I mean, yeah. I mean, rich, genius, you know, um, bald like me. <laughs> but yeah. What, what, what do you, I guess, I think there are poll, polls when you think, when, when people talk about Bezos, you have some people who look at it as, you know, the success story of all success stories. And then you have people that look at somebody who's amassing this wealth and control. Uh, obviously you've built your business, you know, currently around Amazon and, and what he's created. So 
but I'm curious just kind of like how you, how you feel when, you know, about less about, I kind of know which side of the pole you're on given the business you're in, but how do you, like when, when somebody comes to you and says, man, you're, you're part of the problem, this whole Amazon world, what, what do you say to that? You know, that's, that's actually fascinating, Zach. And it's a good question. I mean, look, everybody, like, it's certainly if you get to any size or scale, there's going to be people with multiple opinions about you. I, I am sure you deal with this in your own role as CEO of Tenuity, right? And, you, you know, you can post something on LinkedIn and there's going to be lovers and there's going to be haters. And that really, it's what it comes, I think human beings are uniquely designed there, there's to always disagree to an extent. It's so that we don't ever get, you know, like, you know, to one track and have, you know, where we can all be taken by one idea. And you'll always have some people who rebel against it. So whether that's an idea like an Amazon or the person who may, you know, embody that idea like Bezos, like there's going to be people who love it and hate it. And, you know, nothing is all good or most, most things are not all good or all bad. There's always two sides to it. So, you know, I think it's complicated. I mean, I used to have this debate with buddies of mine from college all the time, one friend of mine in particular that, you know, can you get really wealthy, you know, let's say hundred million wealthy um, and be a good person. And he was very negative on that. No, you never can. And I was always like, yeah, you can. I believe you can. But what I've come to learn is the question's not that simple. I think you certainly can, but I think there will be a lot of people who say you're not because in that journey, you're going to have to create some stuff when you create, you know, it's the old, the old adage, but when you create, creating an omelet breaks a lot of eggs, right? When you build a company, you know, and, and, or you, you know, build something of scale and size that adds value in, in this world, there's always going to be people who can't do it, can't scale with you, wanted to have a deal and didn't. And there's a good reason on your side, you may have done everything good at every step of the way, but someone's going to be pissed. And, you know, it just happens. Like, so, you know, I think, you know, I think, I mean, look, I've heard, uh, we've all heard things about Amazon. We've all heard things about Facebook and their leaders and all this stuff. And I'm sure the truth is way more complicated than anyone really wants to spend the time thinking about. And, you know, for someone who has to live that, you know, I'd rather not be known at all. I'd rather be quiet behind the scenes and whatever, but if it helps my companies. I get out here and I, and I do it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you kind of think and feel the same way about a lot of this. So I think it's challenging, but it's interesting. I love that we're comparing Zach to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> He's not bald. I don't think he. I don't think he did that. I think you just I, made that. I don't, I don't no, remember where I, he did. Yeah, I, don't think I, I mean, like he, like he was like tiptoe, <laughs> he was tiptoeing there. I was like, really? Are we are we comparing Zach to Jeff Bezos? Yeah, we're but, both from South Florida, but other than that, I'm not sure what we have in common. <laughs> Bezos is well. He's from Albuquerque first, man. All right. Well, he grew. He, yeah. You know, that's right. He grew up. He grew up down here. Maybe is the better way to put it. In, in South Florida, I, look, I, I got to try to find. Florida. We don't have the greatest reputation down here in South Florida for many reasons. So anything I can latch on to, like that, uh, Bezos, you know, Cheryl Sandberg. I'm not sure if that's a great thing to associate yourself with. Uh, you know, from South Florida. All right. So last word, unicorn. Oh. I don't like that word. <laughs> <laughs> Why? It's a, it's a pretty we knew, we knew you wouldn't. animal, right? <laughs> it's, it's a, well, yes, it's a silly word to, when they apply it to companies, right? Especially because it's just weird. Things have scaled up in such a way. You know, I mean, you know, I think I was, I've been quoted before as saying there are herds of unicorns running around, but there are. There's, last I saw, there were 650, like 635, like billion dollar privately valued, you know, billion dollar valued companies in the private sector, right? Um, and end up, right? So, you know, there's, I mean, it's, is it, it's something, it's great. I mean, you know, it says a lot about, you know, most businesses getting to that, that place have to be rather successful. 
Um, and look, we need shortcuts for, for talking about these things. So whatever it is, it is. but, but it, the, the word starts to carry so much baggage. And I think this baggage, maybe it's just me cause I'm in this industry and whatever, but like it tends to be really tied to Silicon Valley companies. And, it, and then look, they're a different animal. You know, you get billion dollar companies that don't make any revenue or certainly don't make any profit. Like that is just crazy to me. Right. So like, but some of them are worth it, right? I mean, hell, you've been crazy not to buy into Facebook when they were a $10 million company, even if they were losing money, because the long-term prospects of what they're building is stunning, right? But, but most of the companies aren't like that. And so, you know, people, I look, I lived through this with the dot-com crash, so I think I'm more cynical. And anything that had dot-com on it was super hot. It was the greatest thing in the late 90s. And then the whole thing crashed. And everybody, there was this schadenfreude about it. And everybody was just like, ah, ha, 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 and making fun of it, right? And I get the feeling that once you're called a unicorn, everyone's waiting to do that. They want to go, ha, 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 and point their finger if there's any problems or anything like that. And I, you know, I just don't like that. I think it's a shortcut that is maybe not, you know, it's run its course, but I don't know what else you, now people are talking about deacorns and stuff like that. I mean, it just gets silly. I'm not even sure what that is. It's a ten billion dollar company, a deacorn. You not heard that? No, I'm interesting. No. <laughs> no. I, oh, I have a big, I have a bigger disdain for maybe the word unicorn than you do. But I one word I actually hate more than than a unicorn is growth hacker. So there's <laughs> that that one's actually worse than unicorn. Yeah, or sorry, yeah, you're right. Two words, but in combined, they suck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I don't really like that term either. It's, but you know, again, these things get popular. It happens. There's no hacking to growth. I've done. I've I've been doing growth for 15 years. There's there's more hard work and being smart and strategic than hacking. So uh, I, I actually take a great amount of offense to uh, that word. Uh, but let, I get it. Let's let's uh, let's pivot on. So Carlos, you and I met in 2017, and we both had an idea of where consumers' attention was going to be massively going. And we shared that sentiment in Amazon. And uh, Tenuity focused on that in one way as it, you know, mainly related to advertising and operations. And you took a really interesting route and in kind of creating this roll up of amazing third party sellers and creating a, an amazing business for yourself. So that was a, a, I don't know if that was a bold prediction by either of us in 17, but both of our predictions began much earlier than that when that first time that we met in 17. So as we sit here today at the end of 2020, you obviously are going to build this amazing unicorn that you're building. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Uh, but what's the, what's the bold prediction that you have for the future of digital, of consumer attention, of e-commerce? It doesn't have to be all of those, just one of those, like in that mentality, where do you see that changing and going? Well, look, frankly, to start with, you give me way too much credit. <laughs> I, didn't have, you know, I didn't have any grand vision that Amazon was going to be. I mean, Amazon was a thing. It was growing fast. But frankly, we didn't go into this thinking we would build this to where we have, certainly not at this speed. I literally remember, like, I bought the first business myself. We hadn't even incorporated the company yet. We just thought this might be a good idea. And I saw what we liked, and I said, let's buy it. And, you know, I threw it into an LLC, which we then had to transfer later and all this stuff. But, like, you know, my thinking was very much more block and tackle. It was like, this makes money. If I buy it, it'll keep making money. If I'm smart, it'll make more money. And maybe I can buy a couple more. And the downside of that is, I, you know, I could end up with a 20 to $50 million Amazon seller slash CPG company. Okay, that's, that's great. It makes some money. And I can then, you know, I'll be making nice money. I can sit around and think of my next thing to do. 
And that's literally how I kind of went into it. But then, you know, then you're also thinking, okay, maybe if it really starts to work and take off, then you start looking at the numbers, seeing what's really going on behind the scenes and learning what's going on on Amazon. That's when those sort of bigger vision took play and, and took hold. So, so just saying like, I, I don't deserve much credit for, <laughs> for moving in that direction. Not as, not as much foresight as you did. So, you know, look, I, I make it a habit of not trying to predict. You can't predict too far out at all. I mean, the pace of technological change is just stunning. I mean, even for people like us who live in the middle of it, right? So, you know, what I try to do is like, I look, and, and this is even challenging. When I look at other markets, right? So China, China's e-commerce is years ahead of us, right? And we're years ahead of maybe other, like Western Europe, who's years ahead of South America. But it's all moving in that direction. But what's interesting to think about here, so is like how, you know, like communication technology, like, you know, in, and there's parts of Africa who have more advanced cell phone infrastructure than we do because they never had to lay copper lines, never worried about that. They just went straight to cell phones. Boom. You know, it's happened in Asia, right? Um, they could skip a lot of that legacy stuff. You know, what's interesting to see is people, I don't think you can, you know, look at one market and say, okay, that's just going to trickle to the next one, right? Because, you know, South America has a 4% e-commerce penetration. So they don't have a huge community of people going on to a, a product search engine like Amazon, typing in terms to find products. That's a legacy debt of how we shop here. But you look at it, you look at China, which is much larger e-commerce market than us. They don't shop that way. They don't shop by search. It's discovery based. It's live commerce. Live commerce is going to do 120 billion this year um, in China. And they have many more discovery based mechanisms. But, you know, so will that, will that leapfrog us and end up being the big thing in South America where you have, you know, 650 million people or something like that, right? Um, so, you know, I try to watch what's going on between advanced markets and see what might make that leap, what might be the next thing. And I do think live commerce is coming here. So I'm kind of uh, positioning and looking for that. Um, in the in the tech and e-commerce space, and you know that's really for us here. It's an evolution of HSN and QVC, right? So we had television shopping here, which I don't know if China ever had that to any major degree, and infomercials and stuff. But they hopped right into the internet version of that, right? And now that you know, it's the sales they do is massive and stunning. I mean, so um, I don't know if I have any crazy big bold prediction, except that it's always going to change a lot faster than we think. And it's going to be something we don't know. I mean, you know, like TikTok more than anyone could create a, a, a massive e-commerce engine and machine. And I can see that happening and see why that's probably why Walmart was interested in getting in on that bid, right? On both sides of the, you know, both bidders. Um, but what Facebook is going to do, I mean, you and I both are very acquainted with the power of Facebook's marketing machine, Facebook, Instagram, and all that. And like, you know, they're starting to make it easier to buy, right? So I, I noticed they finally you know, integrated Apple Pay, let's just say, with Instagram. So, you know, half the time I used to see, they were always great at surfacing great products to me, right? Instagram's amazing at that. But I'd, I'd go, oh, I want that shirt. And then it's like, here's a form you got to fill out on your phone. And I'm sitting on the couch drinking wine with friends. I'm like, yeah, not going to happen. Or I'd, I'd go, to, go to Amazon and see if the product was there, which frankly has benefited Amazon. But now I go there lots of times, I click it and it says, if you have Apple Pay, click here, boom, address, everything filled in, money's done. It's literally two clicks and I get the product. Like, what can they do with that? Like, and how, they, you know, simplifying that, it's just greasing the wheels of commerce. And if you think of all the different places and players who can grease the wheels of that commerce happening, then you start to get a, a, some insight into what these big changes might be. And I think the Instagram shopping engine might be, a, you know, a hundred billion dollar plus business in the blink of an eye. I mean, it could be stunning. So that would be interesting to see. Social commerce, 
I, look, I, I agree. I, th- I think, I think this, you know, in simplicity form, like we have to watch what's happening in China as, as it relates to commerce and digital, because they frankly just, you know, they're the Jetsons uh, to our, uh, to our world. <laughs> we used to be the uh, Jetsons. What happened, man? <laughs> I mean, it's Two funny because like China has been selling mini Coopers online for like seven years, right? Like they've been to your point, like they've actually been doing this live commerce thing for almost 10 years now. And it's just something that we're starting to sniff out, which um, is fascinating. Some of those, some of the top sellers there, I mean, I know one sold 75 Land Rovers in five minutes. Yep. On a live commerce show. I mean, they're doing hundreds of millions of dollars of goods in a single day for like one, one seller. It was really popular. It's just, it's amazing to see. Yeah, it's like the inner the influencers integrating to Tmall, and they have yeah. it's it's insane. But they've been, but to your point, they've been doing it for years, and so TikTok is one of the first viable potential options that potentially, with Walmart's backing, can do the same thing over here. But it's you know it's behavioral change. Like you got to look at how people behave and what they're used to here, and you know, right. people do different things here, and they shop different ways. And you know, it's not to say they can't change, or the younger generation doesn't pick get up and move with it quickly. But, you know, not everything comes over, you know, exactly the same way. Right. I will say the amount of just garbage I have purchased from social media recently, <laughs> since it, they made it significantly easier to do so, it's it's fascinating. I, I couldn't even tell you why I'm buying these random things that I'm buying. I won't, I won't actually tell you what they are, but, but it's it, awesome. it makes I, no sense. I love it. Like, it's like <laughs> complain about, oh, they know so much about us. And I'm like, yeah, but look how pointed this product advertisement to me was. And I think what a lot of people miss is it's not like it's a, a bunch of people who work there looking at your data going, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna show you this, this product. No, it's like machines just match it all up. But if they're really good at showing me things I want and showing me ads I care about, that's great to me. I mean, that's a win. So, you know, I don't know. But I, I've been in the ad industry for a while. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes me question a lot about my search history. I'll just say that. I'm like, why am I getting these ads? And then I realize I'm like, I actually do want this. I'm just going to buy it. At one point early on in Facebook, I think when we'd started Orion, I actually went in to try to train Facebook on the things I liked. So there was, you could spend time, you know, liking ads and liking stuff. And I went in and, and, and disliking also. And I went and did that for a while to, to try to get better ads and better products for myself. And it worked. And it's only gotten better over time. Okay. So bold predictions we talked a little bit about, but I'm curious, what are you going to be working on in 2023? You've been... You've been all over the place. You've done a lot. You've seen a lot. You have a couple of predictions going on. What does what does three actually twenty twenty three is what is that <laughs> two years from now? Yeah, what are you years. gonna be? What are you doing tomorrow? Is basically the question. What are you gonna be doing in twenty twenty three? I mean, you know, it's still growing Thrasio. I think I think Thrasio's presence internationally will be getting. Well, I mean, it's already fairly large. Um, it's it's gonna be growing sooner than that. But I think. I mean, like most businesses today, international represents a lot more than half of, you know, most, most companies today, international companies. So I think we'll be growing internationally in different ways. And I think I'll be probably pretty involved with that. Um, and I also think, you know, I mean, still, I mean, hopefully leading a, a, a great company, which is a great place to work for a couple thousand people at that point and, you know, doing right by them and doing right by our customers and doing right by our uh, environment and in uh, our constituencies all around, like for the, the communities we're in, everything. I, I really hope we build something really special here that, you know, can, can, can give back 
and can also, you know, be a, be a place that people are happy and proud to be a part of, you know? So I, I hope I'm doing that. Will you be a unicorn? Sorry, I just had to get that in. <laughs> We're, we are now. Uh, we, yeah, I think no. <laughs> we're, let's say be a corn by that point. Uh, be a corn. There you go. Be a corn. I couldn't, I couldn't remember the 10. Yes. So as you think through all of the businesses that you've started, um, and, you ha- and you're going to exclude current company, right? Thrasio. <laughs> and uh, exclude Orion too. Cause I know those. So I'm curious, Nick, like what was the best one that you started and why? And what was the worst one that you started and why? Like, uh, I, I think hopefully we have some, you know, budding entrepreneurs, marketers, and a whole bunch of different people listening. And I think everybody likes to learn from experience. So what are so the common themes? Those are loaded terms, and you took out my two best. Brazio and Orion were my best. Were a lot of fun. You know, you know what? The other best one I would say is Course Advisor. It's what led me. So it's what got me into the performance advertising space again, right? Um, and uh, it's a Course Advisor is a lead generation company, but we developed some very unique technology for doing PPC on Google back in 05 and 06 when there was no tech to buy or anything. So, um, but it was, you know, more importantly, it was great because it was a great place to work. We had an awesome team, awesome people. You know, people loved working together, loved coming in. No one was working 90 hour weeks and in slave driving. I, I think that's crazy. I think it's unhealthy. Um, you know, we were working, people were working eight hour days and we had massive success and, you know, sold that in a terrific, you know, deal. It was a nine figure deal sold to the Washington Post in two years. And the Post is a fan, getting to know, you know, the Graham companies, the Graham holding companies and Don Graham and his executive team was fantastic. Like they're, they are just a class act, just wonderful people, a wonderful organization. And, you know, it goes back to one of that, the debate I had earlier, you know, I was talking about with my buddy, can you get really wealthy and be a good person? All that. I mean, they, you know, he is, they are, and it was, was fantastic to see and learn. So I would say, you know, for a lot of reasons, that was probably my other best I mean, you know, like I don't want people at one of my first companies, Opus 360, to feel bad either. That was phenomenal. It was a culture unlike anything else. And I made lifelong friends at that place. Um, but, you know, the, the, I, I think uh, that will give you a quick answer there with Course Advisor. Worst, like this is tough because it's one, it was a, it was, it was a company that I liked a lot. And I, and I love the people. Um, and they're good friends of mine, very small, called QNotes. Um, it was the, uh, I, so it was, it's the only one that I raised money for that didn't have success. I generally haven't done that much since the, the Opus days. Um, we didn't raise a whole lot, you know, half a million, something like that. But, um, but the, the, the challenge there was, it was a terrific product. If you remember, um, uh, what was it? Pop-up video on VH1 back in the day where you'd be watching the video and the facts would pop up. We developed that for use on a mobile phone or on the computer or whatever. So you could type anything, you know, and we also popped it up with facts from the artists themselves. So we had like people like Motley Crue and, and Slipknot and stuff like getting in and entering facts about their songs. It was fascinating to know, like, like, oh, we were, you know, this, this was, you know, Nick's car. You know, we, we needed the noise and we just pulled it up to the back of the recording studio and did this. And it was really neat. It was a great idea. But the, the, why I say this was the worst is it was a feature. We built what was essentially a feature for YouTube or a feature for Vivo you know, something like that. It was very difficult to make it stand on its own. And as an entrepreneur, you don't want to do that because you're, you're putting, you know, you're putting your, your success in someone else's hands, right? It didn't have a very clear and easy to do revenue model. It was just kind of the 
time when apps were going crazy. It was an exciting thing to pursue. Everybody was hopping on. And I, I loved the idea. I loved the product. And my, my team did a terrific job with it. Um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, like we, we couldn't make it without, you know, someone choosing to buy it and add it to their product or give it heft or, you know, or something like that. And we were very close to a few deals. You know, maybe if we'd had more money, we could have stayed up longer and something like that. But we didn't. Um, and now I see versions of this you know, um, in different places, uh, you know, like actually, frankly, like for podcasts, it was super useful. I'm starting to see some podcast people include this stuff because, you know, you could timestamp something at 132 and share it, right? It was neat and whatever. But not to go too much into that. I mean, the, the, the lesson there is, you know, look, I, I really like to start things that have a very clear revenue model and make money day one. Like that's stuff I look for now. I mean, it's very different being an entrepreneur in your 20s and having not, no real responsibilities versus one in your 40s when you've, or even 30s or 40s where you've got responsibilities, maybe a family, you know, home, bills, things like that. So um, that's, but, but I've also found better success by really focusing on stuff that makes money. I think all too often, you know, people think of entre entrepreneurship in the Silicon Valley light where you, great idea, get VCs to give you money and that's success and then go try to build it. And that's a one in a thousand success, maybe one in a hundred. But, you know, the real entrepreneur to me is the person who starts, you know, a taco truck. And he's like, okay, I can buy the truck for this. I can buy the ingredients for this and I can sell them for this. And I make more money and I'll be able to pay it all off. And immediately is making cash and managing that cash flow and growing a business, right? I, I like, and you can do that digitally, whatever. But I just, I, so I, I, I like, like, I think that's really important. And I think most entrepreneurs don't really think enough about, you know, getting their first win on the board and how important that is, right? So you know, whether it's building a, a profitable company that continues to be profitable and can return you money or you can sell it to someone else and and then it makes you, you know, a chunk or something like that. So, so you can go do, do something else with it if you want. Long answer for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you had me with Slipknot and Motley Crue. I don't, I don't know that I've ever met someone that built a business to service it wasn't just more to learn about, <laughs> but to learn about Slipknot. I didn't know that there was anything more to learn. So you had me at that. Frankly, I didn't even know who they were when we did it. <laughs> he loved our product. We had Fred Durst too. I think he might have introduced us. Oh, Lip Biscuit! Wow, yeah. we're just getting we're getting them all in. Oh, we had some so. great people in there, uh, in, you know, interacting with us. It was it was really cool. It was fun, you know. All right. So on the on the note of kind of this, you know, starting a company, best worst. So. Uh, a game inspired by Lonely Island. Uh, imagine that you're starting a new company. It doesn't matter what it is in a sense right now. You're starting this new company today and you get to bring three things with you to start that company. You get to bring one person, only one person with you to start it. You get to bring one tool or technology and one partner company as well. So you get three things you get to bring, a person, a tool or a technology, and a partner. And that's the only way, that's the only thing you get to use to get off the ground. What are the three? A partner company. I mean, yeah, you use your imagination that you can think, yeah, that anywhere. That I can bring Facebook with me to this island. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. I can't say the person because there's so many great people in my, my past. Well, you're going to have to, we're going to sit here in silence until you actually give us a name. Okay. You, you can cut the silence out and add something back in there. No way. I can't <laughs> say a single person, man. Uh, you know, I have only been successful because of the great people I associate with. And I, you know, I've had so many um, great friends and, and, and collaborators throughout the years that, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it'd be impossible to pick just one. I guess a lot of them work for my company right now. So I would say I wouldn't take them because I want Thrasio to keep, <laughs> keep succeeding. Okay. So there you go. We're getting, we're getting there. You're not getting, you're nobody from Thrasio. <laughs> they're all off limits because they're going to be working on that. So pick somebody. You're starting a new company. It this can't be, be anybody so at Thrasio. Could it be like I take yeah. like Dorsey? Sure. <laughs> if he shaved the beard, I might take him. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Because he needs a third job, right? That's, yes, that's he needs exactly what he job. needs. No, I think he's a, he's a little nutty, but an interesting guy. Um, I don't know. Let me think about this. Um, I think it would be a killer engineer, right? Um, because, you know, I think, like, if you're going to pick, start something new and pick a new idea, you want something that is, you know, technical, I think. And, and I think it would be someone who really has to know AI and machine learning really well. Um, so... Uh, well, I should be able to think of somebody here who's, let me just say Sergey Brin, like he, <laughs> he probably knows all this and he'd be great. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, you know, take him and uh, then what you, what else did you want? I had to take a tooler, uh, a tooler technology. Well, the AI. So I bring a tool that has, you know, TensorFlow okay. pre-installed built in. Um, okay. And then and, the partner company, are you, are you going back to Facebook or are you picking somebody else? I would actually probably pick, uh, no, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit out there and I'd pick like uh, one of the big Chinese giants like uh, Pinduoduo or Tencent or Alibaba. Um, Smart who's move. The, yeah, who's because I think they're out there at a whole other level. Probably, or ByteDance, for instance, right? Who owns TikTok, right? Those guys. Um, they're all amazing companies. Let's say I, I narrowed down to Byte or Pinduoduo now. I don't know who has better AI tech, but um, let's just go with ByteDance because they own TikTok. <laughs> and and you can learn how to dance with them which is great yes great i've i've never seen something that like by virtue of an algorithm you know grew like that it's really stunning i mean what they did right and we're, it's not this you know everyone gets locked into this model it's this of followers and likes and these things which is what everyone was stuck on and here they show up and like you know i can go create my first video and get 10 million views right now because the algorithm determines that that's what people want to see and i don't know if people really appreciate it, you know, what that is, how that works, and that's what it does. And that's why TikTok has had such phenomenal adoption. Um, but it really is fascinating. Well, do you think that that's why they've had adoption? Or do you think that the pandemic has helped push them along well, a little bit? I don't think the pandemic really pushed them along. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it pushed everybody a little bit in, kind of in tech, but like they were moving that way anyway. I mean, the adoption rates of that were phenomenal. Okay, Carlos. We've entered the phase of the program where we're done asking you questions and we're called off mute. So it is now time for you to go off mute and say whatever is on your mind. What do you want our listeners to know? What do you want to rant about? The floor is yours. Shoot, man, I don't really rant that I can think about. I don't know if there's anything I really want to, uh, to dive into. You know, if you wanted to really dive into something, you know, it would be perhaps the fascinating what's what's going on in education right now in particular higher education and the changes there so I've been one of these guys for years saying college is a waste of time and you know I, and I'm telling you I asked everybody I who went to college with me my friends did you actually have you used your degree and I remember when I went to school they told us freshman orientation two years of graduating here from here only 45 percent of you will be working within your major and I was like, okay, well, so why are we majoring? Or what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> like I knew that, I kind of knew that. Like most people are going consulting and stuff back then. But so, you know, I think I'm, I love seeing like what Google is doing with their certification program, right? And they're 
saying, you take this six you know, month course, whatever, for a few hundred dollars, and we will treat it as if you have a four year degree from a school and hire you without, you know, dinging you on salary and stuff. Not every, the four year degree, look, I, I'm all in favor of learning. I learn all the time. I listen to podcasts constantly all week. I read all the time. I'm learning, but we can all do that without this structured system that loads people up with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, which is just crazy. I mean, it's batshit. Since we're off mute, I'm just going <laughs> to say it. It's batshit, man. And it's like, I think a lot of people are saying the same thing now. I mean, I'm not you know, the only one, although I've been, I've been on this for years. And look, everyone says, well, you went to a great school. You went to MIT. Of course, you, know, you can say that. you got benefit from that. Yeah, I did, of course. But, you know, is it worth it for everybody? And are there other ways of getting those benefits? The benefits to me from there are not from learning. Well, it's a phenomenal learning institution. You know, I, don't, I think forcing people through this rigid four-year thing where someone else determines what you need to know is crazy um, to a degree. And there's other ways of doing it and cheaper ways of doing it. I mean, you know, they've been offering their courses online for years. Like, so what, why can't, but you don't get a degree. What's the difference? You can take all their courses online from, you know, Botswana or something. Why don't you have a degree from there? Because you didn't choose to come and pay them $200,000. Like someone's got to start to take a hard look at that. And I think people are starting to now with the pandemic, but I got friends whose kids are in college and they're like, so wait, I'm paying for zoom classes. Huh? <laughs> like, yep. I don't fly, you know, I don't think I want to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, so I'm excited about the changes because it comes down to companies like it's been this collusion. I don't know, you know, you want to call it, you know, big, big tech, big school collusion, whatever. But like saying that you need, you know, you've got to have a four year degree to do this job. Again, I have never met anybody. And I'd say all of us on this call who needed the four year degree to do the jobs we're doing today. Right. I mean, and you can disagree with me, feel free to, but like we, we learn things all the time and we learn how to do our jobs different ways. Right. I, I don't disagree. I actually completely agree. I think there is, you know, we need to, it, it needs to be more about optionality. I think there are aspects of going to college that allow you to grow up yep. and learn and mature and get experiences. But I, the I part agree. that resonates most, most for me is the rigidness, right? Like, you know, that lives in that you have to take four years, a certain number of credits to get to the, and there's only, it's a binary, you know, it's a college is a binary system. You graduate or you don't, but like, that's not the value of school or of college. It's the multiple events that occur during the four year period of being 18 to 22. Those are the milestones that happen. So I think the, the business world the technology world and the education world need to collide. And they, I, I still think there needs to be some of that, you know, maturation process that occurs in that four years, but I don't think it needs to happen in a classroom. Yeah. I mean, look, it, I, I totally agree in how it is looked at today and stuff, but let's, let's like maturation. Like, I mean, let's go back a hundred years and you know, there were eight year olds working in the coal mines and I'm not saying we go back to that, but like, you know, <laughs> you were, I mean, why do so many societies and stuff have, have, you know, rituals around becoming an adult at age 14? Well, because people were adults at 14, 150 years ago, right? They have, they have responsibilities and we're capable of doing it. I believe people take the responsibility you give them. And, you know, I try to live that with my kids every day. And, and they are, according to most people, way more responsible and mature than their peers, because we give them the chance to do that and screw up. You got to watch it, screw up. They got to learn and you help. Right. But so look, an 18 year old, we said, they're capable of going to war. 
I mean, people say this all the time, and yet they're not capable of having a beer and they're not capable of having a job. I mean, you know, and learning how to do Microsoft Excel for you at your company and, and learning how to do performance marketing, they probably are. And yes, granted, our society infantilizes them in many ways, I think, and so creates an environment where they may need some maturation, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And it certainly doesn't have, every society doesn't have to be built that way. And I know lots of people who like, you know, look, Europe and stuff have these site, you know, these two tracks with vocational schools and things. And I think people talk about going that direction, but it shouldn't have a bad name. Like vocational shouldn't mean something lesser. There should be ways. And lots of people may just, they may end up wanting to be a computer programmer, but they may not know until they're 24. And maybe they want to work for a few years, learn some online marketing, take a certification here, take classes there, take stuff online at MIT. What we want is to encourage this, the, like, given the, the, the technological infrastructure we have now and the access to learning is just so unparalleled. Like I, I, you know, I say this to my son all the time. He asks me questions and I'm always like, wow, you know, if there were only some device you had that you could you know, put in queries and, and look up anything and get answers to it while he's holding his phone or his iPad. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> he rolls his eyes at me, but I'm trying to teach him, you know, go to Google, you know, get online, search, find what you need because it's all there. And how we leverage that as societies is going to define who really finds success, I think, in the next 100 years, right? Next 20, you know, we can't look beyond 20, 20 to 50, let's say. But, you know, so I do see a lot of exciting stuff there with, Coursera and to you and all these online programs and universities being online and Google doing what it's doing and letting, you know, any kids, you know, they're doing a scholarship program for underprivileged kids to take those courses. And then most importantly, they're willing to hire them. And if we're willing to hire them also, every company, we don't put out that you've got to have a bachelor's degree or whatever. And now I look, I know people are going to go to Thrasio, go to the job site, look that up and go, Hey, you're acquiring bachelor's degrees. But <laughs> we're not getting there overnight. I got to talk to my team. We got to work on it. But I think there, we all need to work on this together and need to start to move there and, uh, and, and look at it. And we do have, you know, I, I, we have some young folks that have come in and worked for us on internship basis because legally it's hard to hire someone under 18, let's say, but, um, who did phenomenally well. We gave them as much responsibility as a, a person who has a full-time job with a four-year degree, and they succeeded wildly, and some have come to work for us and are continuing to. I'm very proud of that and, and seeing them and seeing their success. And I'd love to be able to do more of this. I'd like to see more companies do it. Well, Carlos, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Off Mute. Join us next week when we'll be joined by Global Head of Media for Uber, Travis Freeman. Thanks, Carlos. This was some of the most, this was the most fun podcast just about I've done in a while, I think. Thank you very much for having me. It was great.